Good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus, or maybe you're in your car, in your house. Those of you who are in the room right now, uh, we're glad you're here. And just a little technical deal. Uh, I need the little clicker that drives this machine right here. Um, we forgot to put that on the counter, so we'll talk amongst ourselves until that comes. How's that? <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's, it's good to be here. I, my name is Greg Surratt, and uh, if you don't know me, um, I'm the founding pastor. Oh, there we go. Hey, how about that? Good job. Thank you. I'm the founding pastor, which just means I got here first, right? Okay. <laughs> And a uh, little update, uh, as many of you know, um, we started a retreat center on Johns Island where we care for pastors, we help leaders live well, finish strong. And uh, just a little update, of course, we've had over 1,500 uh, pastors since we began, but just this year we've had uh, about 50 pastors that have joined us uh, out at the retreat. This week uh, we had first part of the week, Monday through Thursday, uh, we had a group of uh, Charleston Baptists, uh, local pastors, uh, Baptist pastors. And then the end of the week, uh, we've had a group of pastors from Maine, and I think some of them are here today. And uh, we, let's welcome them. Will, will you do that? And uh, it's just been amazing. Thank you for helping. Thank you for supporting. Uh, last week, I, uh, not this, this week, but the week before, uh, I, I left on Sunday uh, and got on an airplane at 2.30 in the afternoon and flew to Michigan to, uh, um, uh, I don't know, Traverse City, I guess it was, way up north. And, uh, oh, there's somebody that's been to Traverse City. That's great. <laughs> it was cold. I got to tell you, it was cold. Took me until four in the morning to get there. Uh, stuck in Chicago, 30 below zero outdoors in Chicago. I wanted to tell those people, you can serve God in a nice place. I, I did, but I, I didn't. I didn't say that. <clears throat> but uh, I did two retreats, uh, one in Traverse City for a group of Assembly of God pastors, about 350 of them. And then I, I drove down about four hours to um, somewhere on Lake Huron and uh, a group of about 35 non-denominational pastors, a lot of them from the D Detroit area, and uh, it was great. Uh, it was a great week to be from Michigan because Michigan University won the national championship in football and the Lions are like one game away from the Super Bowl. And uh, there's some of your big Lions fans. And um, that, that uh, yeah, that was interesting because, well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, anyway, great week to be um, from Michigan, but not necessarily in Michigan. I just want to tell you that. Uh, high temperature there was zero in the areas where I was. That's wind chill. That, that's the very high. That's the highest that we got. We celebrated that. We went outside in swimsuits and stuff. Um, so um, I had to drive from wherever I was, middle of nowhere in, uh, on Lake Huron to Detroit, two hours, catch plane, plane to come back home. And this is what I woke up to. Take a look at this. This is, uh, this is, this is called, that's called snow. And uh, we got about eight to 10 inches overnight. And then it kept piling up, kept piling up. Then it started blowing. And um, no, no snow trucks or anything out there because it was out in the country. 
And uh, that was a joy, a real joy. So I'm glad to be home. It's great to be home. Great week to be here. A great week for you. Next week would be even a better week. And you say, why is that? Because next week we have our Next Steps weekend. And so if you're new to the church and just getting connected, especially with the first of the year and kind of starting some habits right, well, next week's the week to get connected. We used to hold this in my house. I still have great memories of newcomers at my home. And now we do it here or we do it at every campus. And you can uh, get connected there. I think it's a three-week process, but you'll want to do that and get involved next week. So let me ask you this. What is your mindset this year? What's your mindset for 2024? What's your mindset for your family? What's your mindset toward your career or school, whatever you happen to be doing? What's your mindset around relationships that you're involved in right now? And here's the second question. Can it be changed? Can it be lifted? Again, I was, I was uh, in Michigan and just got to talk to a lot of pastors. And, and they told me that um, the football team in Detroit is lifting the mindset of the whole area. Because Detroit's been kind of depressed and, you know, they've gone through a lot. And, you know, car uh, industry and all the things that were there and just gone through a lot. And they've had, frankly, a sorry football team for a lot of years. And, and uh <laughs> This year they're winning, and they said it's taking the whole state up, just the, the mindset up. Usually when I go somewhere, I make fun of either the political party they're a part of or the football teams that they support. That's just what I do. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just a blessing to everybody. And, um, <laughs> and I decided I'm not going to touch the Detroit thing because it really is lifting. It's lifting the whole... Um, the, the whole mindset of, of, of the deal. Well, what's that got to do with anything? We're in a series called Battlegrounds, where at the beginning of the year, great series to start the year because it's about spiritual warfare. And uh, the messages have been just amazing. I, I was thinking about that this week, just starting with Andy Andrews at the very beginning, and then, uh, and, and, and then Adam talked to us about Satan, you know, first, first sermon of the year. Let's talk about Satan. And what a great, great job. I went away so encouraged. And, and then Josh just killed it. And Joel Delph. And one thing I love about this church is that you get uh, the same word, but a lot of different kind of nuances of it because of the variety of the teachers. And I really, really, really like that. But uh, so, so it's, it's uh, Battleground. I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I'm bringing it home, baby. I'm telling you what. This is the last message in the series. And uh, I want to talk about the mindset of a warrior, okay? The mindset of a warrior. What does that look like? And here's the scripture I want to use kind of as, as the outset uh, for our time together. And here, here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, the weapons, there are weapons, we're in a war, there are weapons. The weapons that we fight with are not, say are not together. Say it again are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, say this, divine power. Say it again, divine power. I think about that. I was reading that this week. Just thinking about those two words, divine power. Don't let that slide by. That's God power. That's power greater than any nuclear weapon that's ever been created. 
or any power that will ever be discovered. Divine power. Think about that. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, back in the day when this was written, they'd understand a stronghold. Stronghold is a place where an enemy would hole out. They just couldn't get to them. You know, it might be a, a, a fort that had, that's up on a hill and has walls, you know, uh, feet thick. Um, the, the only thing I could think of, I was trying to think of what would be an illustration of a stronghold today. And it'd be a bank vault. But I'm not going to use that one because we're not going to talk about robbing banks. Okay. <laughs> this is a bigger deal than that. But he says that our weapons are, have divine power to not just, you know, uh, get in or upset, to absolutely demolish strongholds. Absolutely demolish strongholds. Now, where are strongholds? He says, we demolish arguments. Say arguments. Anybody else wake up in the morning and have an argument going on in your head? Yeah. Am I the only one that hears voices? Hmm? No. I mean, there are arguments all day long. You know, you can't do this, or, you know, what makes you think, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. He says, we demolish those strongholds. And trust me, those are, um, those are arrows and fiery darts of the enemy. If you ever want to know what fiery darts are, they're, they're your thoughts. And we demolish strongholds and arguments and every pretension that sets, it up, uh, against, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. So let's talk about battleground thoughts. Just some thoughts of kind of reviewing where we've been. And here's what we know. We have an enemy, okay? And Adam talked about that so well, that our enemy is so much stronger than us, but isn't even in the ball game when it comes to uh, God. And, uh, uh, and when we put on his weapons and when we think his way, then we have that power, but we have an enemy. It isn't who you think it is, okay? Some of you think your mother-in-law is your enemy. She's not. Some of you think the Republicans are. They're not. Some of you think the Democrats are. They're not. Some of you think it's the narcissistic boss at work or the one you were married to. Not now, used to be. They're not. Can they be used by the devil? Yes. But they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. Um, Oh, here's Mike Tyson. Everybody you fight is not your enemy and everyone that helps you is not your friend. It's not that helpful, but I love quoting Mike Tyson. Okay? <laughs> right? It's good. It's good. All right. Here's another one. I don't agree with this guy at all, Ma Machiavelli. He says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and the friend of my enemy is my enemy. Oh, not all the time. Let's take, for instance, let's say I was at a zoo and I fell into, the, into the, uh, the tigers and lion thing, right? And a tiger is just getting ready to have a meal on me. He's my enemy, would you agree? And a lion comes and just whoops up on the tiger. He's the enemy of my enemy, right? See my friend? Not so much. He's saying grace over me too, okay? <laughs> So, but it's an interesting quote. All right, 
Here's a better one. How about Ephesians? Let's listen to God. For our struggle is not, say is not, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where our enemy is. You got to remember that. Uh, your enemy is not who you think it is. All right, here's a third thing. People do act like the enemy occasionally. Do you have any testimonies on that? Don't point, don't point. Okay, let's see what Jesus says about that. Jesus, Peter had said something to Jesus, you know, about how, what, something he should do or shouldn't do or whatever. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. How would you like to have Jesus say that about you? And then write it down and have everybody read it for centuries. What he's saying is you're being used by Satan right now, and he tells us why. So you're a stumbling block to me. How many of you know you don't want to be a stumbling block to God? Anybody here? Okay. Here's how you can be. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. When, when your concerns are not God's, and you're all worried about yourself, you know, your deal, your position, how it impacts all of that, you're a stumbling block to God. And you can be used by the enemy, and people are used by the enemy, okay? Um, what else? There are common weapons that people use to conduct warfare. What common weapons do people use to conduct warfare other than social media? That's one of them. That's one of them. And uh, they use power. They use deception. They use threats, dis disinformation, character assassination. Whatever. Bullying. <laughs> shame. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And look, look, look what Jesus said about that. Jesus called his disciples together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over them, lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them? Look at this. But among you, it will be different. Let me just say something about that. So I work with pastors all the time, and I hear this almost every week. I've heard it a couple, three times just this week and, and several times last week. And the question is, man, how do, we, how do we present the gospel? How do, we, how do we have an accurate representation? How do we deal with the culture that we're in right now? Because everybody's, you know, they've got all these weapons flying everywhere and all this. And I actually, and this is not just, this is not just baloney, I'm excited about where we're at because, because Jesus said, but among you, it'll be different. And the church can be so different that I think the church is getting ready to have the church that is different. Now, now if the church is just like the world, it's in for a world of hurt because that's where the world's going right now. It's where our culture's going right now. But if the, if the church can be different, that's attractive, and that's exciting, and I think the church is in for some good days. How do you agree with that? All right, so we have an enemy. It isn't who you think it is. People do act like enemies occasionally. There are common weapons that people use. Our weapons are different and much more powerful, much more powerful, and our weapons pull down strongholds, they attack arguments, they expose lies, they capture thoughts. And here's the last thing I, I, I wanna 
before I get into what I want to talk about, is that the battleground for faith is the mind. Okay? We need to remember that. The battleground for faith is the mind. That's where the enemy fires uh, fiery darts at you through thoughts, through thoughts. Chip and I, uh, Chip Judd and I wrote a book uh, called The Endurance Factor, and a lot of you have read it and handed it off to friends, and we appreciate that. But we talk about this very thing, and we call it, you, you need to detox your soul by learning to kill your ants. And that's not Aunt Margaret. That's the automatic negative thoughts that come into your mind. You have those? Automatic negative thoughts. Those are fiery darts of the enemy. That's where the warfare is conducted most of the time. And so, and so the battleground uh, is, uh, the battlefield for faith is the mind. So if Satan is our enemy and the battleground is our mind and the weapons he uses are our thoughts, what is the mindset of a warrior? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to talk about that. Very beginning, I asked you, what's your mindset? What's your mindset? Can it be changed? Can it be elevated? Well, I want to talk to you about the mindset of a warrior. You're a warrior. You're in a battle. You need the proper mindset. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about it from this verse right here because this defines the mindset of a warrior, okay? And it says this, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. I'll just use 4 right now. Rejoice. Say rejoice. rejoice. In the Lord, how many times? What does always mean? Always. Yeah, no, no exceptions. No exceptions. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say what? Rejoice. Yeah, that's the mindset of a warrior. It's a happy warrior. Now, here's where we run into problems. Because some of you are going, ah, dig this. This is awesome. And some of you are going, oh, you got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me? I'm not built to be that happy, and this sounds like Pollyanna, and oh boy, I'm glad you're here, because I want, I want to explain it to you just a little bit, and here's a question, here's a question, and that's this, why is it harder for some people to rejoice than others? Do you think that's true? I do, I do, and it's not, it's not about sin, I really don't think it is, I mean, it could be, but I think most of the time it's not. Um, why is it harder for some people to rejoice than others? I love this. We're going to go into a little bit of social sciences and just some studies that people did because I, I love the fact that scientists are studying today what God declared 2,000 years ago and going, oh, that works. That works. Now, look at this. Social scientists study happiness. There's a lot of study right now on flourishing. Harvard's doing a lot. There's study, studies on, on happiness. And this is all happening within about the last 30 or 40 years. Eh, maybe a little bit more than that, 50 years. There's just a lot of study on it. And <clears throat> this piece of pie right here, or this pie, represents your happiness. Got it? Put yourself right here. That's your happiness. Divide it up into three slices. So the first one is the happiness that's baked in. And about 50% of how you feel, whether you're happy or stressed or whatever, 50% of how you feel is just baked in. It's who you are. Let's look at it. So baked in happiness includes things like temperament, okay? 
Um, I remember years ago studying the four types of temperament. Sanguine. Anybody know what a sanguine is? That's, that's an extrovert, outgoing. It's people that normally sit on the front row and talk back to you. There's some of them right here, okay? Several of them right here. I like them, love them. I love them. I think Joel might be a sanguine. I don't know, you're a little introvert there somewhat, but let's analyze you for just a minute. <laughs> sanguine, they're extroverts. They have an easier time being happy naturally. So you guys should feel good about that. Sanguines. Then you've got melancholy. This is a terrible word. This is what I am. Uh, my, I'm, people are various variations of all of these, but my mother gave me some of this, and it's good. It's the creative part. It's the creative part, but it, it just isn't as happy as a sanguine and never will be. Have I mentioned to you, I tell you this all the time, that I don't wake up in the morning happy, okay? Some of you are praying for that to happen. I'm praying for a miracle too. Well, no, I'd give it up praying. You pray for me. I'm a melancholy. I, just, I woke up this morning just not real happy. But I fight for my happiness because I know how. I fight for my joy, but it's just not natural. Okay, does that make sense? Anybody relate to me? Anybody else normal like I am? Okay, good. All right. Then you've got cholerics. These are the hard charge and they're too angry to be happy. Okay? And... Uh, then you got phlegmatic. My, my wife is one of those. And easygoing and great. She has an easier time being happy than I do. That's baked in. Don't beat yourself up for that. That's just baked in, okay? Uh, personality traits and disposition, those type of things. That represents about 50%. Here's what, what scientists know about that. Very little chance for change, okay? That's not gonna change much. You're not gonna go from a choleric to a, a you know, a sanguine. It's just probably not gonna happen. Um, that's kind of how you were designing. God didn't make any mistakes when he did it, all right? So here's the second piece of this, and it represents only 10%. I thought it would be a lot more than that, but it's circumstances, circumstantial happiness or, or lack of such. And that comes from things like location. Did I mention Michigan versus South Carolina? <laughs> I'm just happier this weekend than I was, all right? You just go outside 75 degrees. I'm layered up just for fun, okay? Because it's a new jacket or something, but I don't need it. It's great. It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay? Uh, age. Uh, some ages, you're happier than others. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, some of you, I remember, Deb, when we had four toddlers and lived in northern Illinois. That was two strikes right there. And... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't a very happy time. I, mean, I got some happy memories, but it wasn't a happy time, you know? Or you may have, uh, you know, there's all kind of age things. You may, somebody talked to me last week and they said they have aging parent in the home that's just having a really, really hard time and it's just hard to be happy because of the sadness that they feel in the whole situation. Age, okay? Gender, I'll leave that alone. Um, <laughs> there are studies on that. Uh, ethnicity, maybe you're a, a minority living in a, in, a, in a difficult place, and it's just a little bit harder. Uh, life events, uh, things like trauma impact your happiness, you know, trauma from a kid or, or trauma from, a, or positive events that happen. Or it can be life status, life status. Um, as I was studying this, married people are statistically happier than single people, they just are. For a while, uh, they are. <laughs> and then, um, uh, how about this one? Uh, can, what time? Oh, I got to keep going. Um, 
We're just having fun, aren't we? Uh, have you heard this, money can't buy happiness? It's not true. Um, to a certain level, if you're, below, if you're below being able to take care of yourself, they say that statistically you're not as happy as those that can take care of them, themselves. And, oh, here's one. And you guys win this one. Ding, 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 ding. People who attend church regularly are happier statistically than those who don't. Okay? Just the way it is. All right, here's the deal on this, though. Limited potential for sustainable. Say sustainable. Change. You can change. If you live here, you can, if you live in Michigan, you could move to Charleston. Everybody else is. You might well. Okay. And you will be happy er for a while and then you'll get used to it we here's the problem with moving for happiness there will be a bump i'm telling you that there'll be a bump but the problem is you take you with you okay and so we just adjust human beings adjust to wherever we are um you can get married if you're single you can get married you'll you'll be happier for a while and then you, uh, and then it'll go back to you know you kind of adjust um, money, you can win the lottery. There are studies that tell you that winning the lottery will make you happy. I'd love to win the lottery for a little while. Then it says you go back to about three years if it's a really big lottery, you go back to where you were and maybe you're worse now because you got to worry about how to protect all of that, all right? So does that make sense? All right, so here's the exciting part of this whole deal is this, this part right there. It's 40%. And it is actions. And here's what they say about that. A certain amount of happiness is baked in. A certain amount is circumstantial. 40% you control. 40% you can make a difference on. And we're going to talk for just a minute about three actions that you can take to improve your joy and win the war in your mind. And they're from Philippians, the next verse in Philippians. Let's take a look at it. The first one is acts of kindness. Let your, what? What does this say? Gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. What does the Lord at hand mean? It just means he's here. He's around. He's here. God's here. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Be completely humble and gentle. Ephesians 4.2. Now, here's the question that I had as I was reading and studying this this week. Is how can your gentleness be known to all men. How, because if you're gentle and you know you're gentle, is that enough? Because it says it needs to be made. Don't, in other words, you need to act gently. How do you act gently? Gentleness is a strong hand and a soft touch, but gentleness becomes known through what? Acts of kindness. Acts of kindness. You see somebody and you say, boy, she is, she's just kind. She's gentle. Why? She always does something for somebody. Or, you know, he, he seems so strong, and sometimes even his demeanor kind of is frightening, but he's gentle. He, he, he gets a need, and he does something. And the more that's done, the more people know. Let your gentleness, what? Be known. Be known through acts of kindness. Here's what we know about acts of kindness. Number one, they don't have to be big to be effective. It can be something small. You can buy the coffee for somebody behind you in the 
lined at the you know, Starbucks or wherever you get coffee. Uh, you can open a door for somebody and just go out of your way to do it. You know, you can uh, uh, give, give people things. You can write notes. You can uh, do a, a text to, to, you know, five friends on Friday. But it's, 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 it doesn't have to be big, but it can be, be effective. This is what's, I, I love this. They have a bigger effect on you than on the recipient. I've got scientific study for all of this. Here's what I like about this. God wants you to be right and do right. He saved you from your sin. And he wants you to have life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Part of abundant life is just doing the right thing, following him, being generous. Generous people are happier than other people. And here's what God did. God built it into when you're generous, when you do an act of kindness, it's good for the other person, but it's multiplied good for you. It just, God built it that way. I love that, okay? Now, doing multiple acts of kindness in a single day has a greater impact than spreading them throughout the week. That was interesting. They did a study on college students. They got three groups. One of them was a control group. In other words, this group, they just measured their happiness and they said, we're gonna measure it six weeks later and you don't do anything about it. So the second group were to do one act of kindness every day. And the third group was to do five acts of kindness in one day. And then don't worry about the rest of the week. Six weeks later, the last group measured much, much, much higher levels of happiness than the others. Not interesting. Isn't that interesting? Why? I don't know. Don't have time to talk about it. But here's what I, if it works, it works. If it works, it works, right? And so what I would challenge you guys, all of you, I would challenge you, follow God in this. Let's let our gentleness be evidence all. I challenge you for the next three weeks, let's say, to take one day a week. Saturday would be a good day. Take one day a week, maybe a Saturday, and uh, let, I'm gonna do five acts of kindness on Saturday and see what happens. You develop a habit, but that's a habit that, that apparently multiplies. And oh, by the way, March the 2nd, we're gonna have Serve Saturday where we can do it all together. Do you see how that fit? See how that fit? Yeah, so you have information on that. All right, we gotta hurry. Variety enhances the effect. Here's the second one. The first one is let your gentleness be evident. No, just acts of kindness. Second one is acts of prayer. Look at what he says. Be anxious for how much? Nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. We've got to see the anxiety as, an, as a dagger from the enemy. And I know there are some, there are some who, you know, you, you've got a, acute anxiety and you're working on that. I'm proud of you for working on that. Don't take any, don't take any condemnation from anything I say. But for most of us, the anxiety that comes is an indicator right now that an arrow's coming our way. And we just need to pray. We just need to pray. Now, there are four basic kinds of prayer. There's prayers of blessing and adoration, praising God. That's what we did during our worship time today. We put our prayers to music and we just praise God, okay? Second kind is prayer of petition and supplication. He's saying with supplication just means you're praying for an issue, Asking for what we need, here's how it works itself out. You can combine prayers. I'm in Michigan. I'm driving from Lake Huron to Detroit. We've already got, by that point, 12 inches of fresh snow. There are no snow plows anywhere. I've got two hours in this, and the wind's blowing, and you can't see the road. This is a great time. A little anxiety coming my way. Great time 
I popped in a playlist of Keith Green. It's old school for me. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And for an hour, I worshiped with Keith. Me and Keith worshiped together. He's in heaven now, leading in worship. And, uh, and then I go, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Keep me out of the ditch. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it, it worked. I'm here, right? And I feel good about it. All right, so prayer of intercession, which is asking for what others need. What's cool about this is at every one of our campuses, that's what the candles are for. The candles are just intercessory prayer points. You go and you pray for somebody. Do you have to have a candle to do that? No, but it's a reminder every week when we come to worship to pray for somebody we love and that God may be reminding us of. And prayers of thanksgiving for what God has already done. So we have, uh, oh, this is cool. Does prayer really work? <laughs> you say, you should know this. Um, I want to take this from a different angle. Because some people will ask, if God knows what we need, why should we pray? That's a whole other message. I do have one on that. I'm going to talk about more than getting our needs met. Okay, more than getting a yes on what we're praying for. Look at this. This is science. This is uh, Association for Psychological Science from the Wall Street Journal, Science of Prayer. Here's what they say, benefits of prayer. Calms your nervous system. Hmm. Instead of being anxious, do what? Pray. Less angry. It's for you clerics. You have happiness. Pray more. Decreases anxiety and stress. Increases a sense of support and fosters a sense of connection. None of those have anything to do with answered prayer. I believe in answered prayer. But just the act of praying will set your mindset up. Does that make sense? That's kind of cool. They say, but not all prayer is created equal. Experts say a 2004 study on religious coping methods in the Journal of Health Psychology found that people who approach God as a partner or a collaborator, in other words, I've invited God to come into my life. I have a personal relationship with him. In their life, had better mental and physical health outcomes. And people who are angry at God, you know anybody who's angry at God, who feel punished, I felt punished by God for a long time in my life. It, was, it wasn't God doing it. It was the enemy, fiery dart, that I took on as truth, and it wasn't truth. Or abandoned, or who are relinquishing responsibility and defer to God for solutions, had worse outcomes. So there's two of them. I got one more, and we're already over time, but... I've been here a long time. I can preach longer, okay? So the third action is an act of gratitude. What was the first one? Act of kindness. Second one, act of prayer, act of gratitude. We want to take our mindset up. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, same verse, by prayer and supplication, and I left those three dots out of there. We're going to put them back in here. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. That's an act of gratitude. There are all kinds of benefits of gratitude. It increases your sleep quality. This is science stuff. Decreases stress, anxiety. When should you practice gratitude? Give thanks in all circumstances. Can I ask you a question real quick? Just you and me. We won't tell anybody. Do you practice gratitude in all things? Do you give thanks in every circumstance? Just us. Just a thought. What do you, 
Because that's God's will for you. And for me, in Christ, how do you do that? You develop a habit of gratitude. Okay? A habit. How do you develop habits? Oh, man. Some of us are going, I don't need another habit. It's January, and I've got 14 habits, and I'm not doing all of them. What do I do? I have good news for you. How many of you brush your teeth every day? I'm glad that you guys do. Right here. <laughs> How many of you brush your teeth more than one time a day? Anybody? Here's something that's called, let's see if I got it here, habit stacking. And what you do, I practice this, you put your toothbrush, and normally you just brush your teeth and you're just uh, not thinking about anything. I got one of those that does it by saying, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But you brush your teeth, and this becomes the opportunity that you give thanks. And you just go, every day when I brush my teeth, I'm going to give thanks. It doesn't have to be big things. Thankful for life today. I'm thankful for Debbie. I'm thankful for my family. Thankful for my church. I'm thankful for one of my dogs. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> right? But what happens is, is you develop a habit. You're already doing something. Might as well be doing something good, right? Might as well be do, doing something good. All right. All right. So here's what's fun. Is that when the enemy attacks, let's say before the enemy attacks, that's better. Let your gentleness be known through acts of kindness. Ask for God's help in prayer. Make a habit of that. And then create habits of gratitude. And here's the kicker. The results, according to Philippians, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I like to say the peace of God that doesn't make sense. You ever been there? You should be just destroyed and you're not. That's the peace of God. You can live in that. God wants us to live in that, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. You don't guard your heart. God's peace guards your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I love that. I love that. Now here at um, Mount Pleasant, all of our campuses right now, we're going to go into a time of response and I'm gonna have a prayer then we'll do it at the campuses. But before we do, I wanna ask you just the same question that I asked at the very beginning. What is your mindset? What's your mindset for this year, for your work? for your place in life, for your family, your job? Where does it need to change? After listening to this talk today, let's take, you say all of those, let's just take one. What's the one area that I talked about that maybe you, if you did something about that, made it a habit, that it would probably impact more than any other. Maybe it's acts of kindness, just figuring that out. Or acts of prayer when when the thought comes, I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to trigger a prayer for me or acts of gratitude. Here's, here, here's my last thought. If I know anything about your year, you're going to face some battles. I love January. We're all very optimistic, and I think that's great. But you're going to face battles this year. Uh, guaranteed, you will face battles. Your training in times of peace is the best predictor of your behavior in times of war. Your training in times of peace is the best predictor of your behavior in times of war. I want to challenge you. Let's go to work.
Let's raise our mindset. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for this wonderful group of people. Thank you for this church. I thank you most of all for Jesus and, this, and your word. God, I pray that you would apply your word to us today in a powerful way. We don't believe that your word will return without effect. We do believe that your word will change our lives from the inside out. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.